0: We're going to read some things this morning that have potential to be confusing or mysterious. We're going to read phrases like gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, prophecy, apostles, miracles, healing. All these things we're going to read that our modern minds are not going to know what to do with. And there's going to be a temptation to kind of write it off, ignore it, to react. And the truth is, all of us are going to come at the text this morning from a very different place. We're all going to hear this passage through a different filter because we're all starting from a different place. I know that some of us in here have grown up in the Christian circles, in a Christian home, going to church. And some of us in that camp have grown up in families or in churches where the gifts of the spirit or the supernatural activity of the spirit just wasn't really talked about much. It wasn't something we knew what to do with. And so we'd get to chapters like chapter 12 and 14. And, you know, at, at best, it was just something we kind of wrote off as mysterious and confusing. And at worst, sometimes it just became a source of humor to kind of laugh at our over-emotional Pentecostal brothers down the street, right? And for some of us, we grew up in Christian circles, and the supernatural activity of the Spirit and this, the gifts of the Spirit were something that we actually experienced pretty regularly. And for some of you in this group, it was a healthy experience. And you may have even wondered, like, why don't we talk about this more at Ethos? Why, don't, why is there not more talk about gifts of the Spirit? And yet, for some of you in that camp, it was a very unhealthy experience. Some of you have probably been hurt by people talking about the gifts of the Spirit in a very pressuring way. In legalistic way, saying if you don't have such and such a gift, that maybe you're not saved. And yet there's still others of us in this room that are probably brand new to following Jesus, and you're going, spiritual gifts? What? What is that? And then there's others who are not even followers of Jesus yet that just came with a friend, and you're going, what in the world did I come to this morning? Why am I here? And, and I want to acknowledge that all of us are starting at a different point, and that's okay because our goal is to get to the same place. Last week, uh, my wife, Amy, and our two boys and I went on vacation in Florida with uh, my parents and my brother and his family. All of us started at a different place. We live here in Nashville. My brother lives in Chattanooga uh, with his family, and my parents live in Appison, which is just outside of Chattanooga. We all had a common destination in mind. We all wanted to get to the same place, to get to the beach, to have a good time together. But because of our different starting points, our journeys looked very different. Because we were starting here in Nashville, our journey would eventually take us through Alabama down I-65 and we'd go through Birmingham and Montgomery and these backwoods Alabama roads that I didn't even know existed. My parents and my brother met up early but they had to go through Georgia and went through Atlanta and they hit traffic and they had two different like traffic jams that held them up and snagged them. And we, our journeys were different pace, different length, and they looked very different. But in the end, our goal was to get to the same place for the purpose of being together. And that's where we are this morning. So it doesn't matter where we're starting from. Our goal is to get to the same place. And if, if you don't hear anything else this morning, let's agree what our destination is. So if you're a note taker, this is the one sentence you wanna write down because this is the whole point of this morning. And that is that Jesus, in his grace, And his goodness desires to use each one of us for the purpose of building up, encouraging, and comforting his body, the church. Jesus, in his grace and his goodness, desires and chooses to use each one of us for the purpose of building, encouraging, and comforting his body, who is the church. Let's jump into the word now. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to jump around a little bit, but I'll tell you which verses I'm going to as I'm reading. Let's start in verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be ignorant. Jump to verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works in all of them. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between Spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Jump down to verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then, workers of miracles. Also, those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues and do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts?" Now, if you're like me, you read that, and there's, it's a lot, right? I mean, there's a lot in there. It kind of leaves your mind hurting a little bit, going, what, do we, what in the world do we do with this? Um, and I think as kind of a disclaimer, as a note, we have to remember who wrote this and who he was writing it to. This is not an instruction manual of sorts on the Holy Spirit. And I know in the past I've always kind of approached it and looked at it and say, okay, I'm going to use this as a guide so that I can understand the Holy Spirit and the gifts that he offers. That's not what Paul is writing here. This is a guy in the first century Paul writing to a group of Christians in the first century in Corinth to a very specific situation. See, many of these Jesus followers in Corinth, they had left a life of paganism and idolatry but with them, they had smuggled in some false ideas of what it meant to be spiritual. And these false ideas of what it meant to be spiritual were causing divisions in the church to the point where some were saying, well, I follow Paul because he seems more spiritual. Others are saying, no, I follow Apollos. No, I follow Peter. And they were trying to get attention on themselves when they would come together doing things that they thought made them spiritual. And so you jump to chapter 14, you see Paul writing a whole lot about speaking in tongues, and it's because the people in Corinth thought that if they spoke in tongues, it made them more spiritual than everybody else. And so Paul is writing to a very specific situation, and it's like this morning we get to open up an envelope illegally and read somebody else's mail. But this mail that was written 2000 years ago still has some very important truths for us to take on today. And I think this morning there's three things that we can take away from this text even though it wasn't written specifically to us. Those three things are one, it is not about the gifts, but about the giver. It is not about the gifts, but about the giver. Two, Jesus, the giver, makes each of these gifts available to all of us. Jesus, the giver, makes these gifts available to all of us. And the third point is that Jesus, the giver, gives these gifts for the benefit of the whole body. Let's start with that first one. It's not about the gifts, but about the giver and his intentions. You know, the last few weeks, we've been looking at the Holy Spirit. We've been kind of traveling through the text, trying to understand who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. We started in the, in, in the Old Testament in Ezekiel, and we were looking at how God says he's going to put his spirit in his people and give them a new heart. Then we jumped into John and we spent several weeks in John where Jesus was saying to his disciples, hey, I'm out of here, I'm leaving, but it's better for you that I leave because I'm going to send my spirit and the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to teach you. He's going to remind you. He's going to comfort you. He's going to guide you. He's going to convict you. He's going to do all these things in you. And then we jump to Romans 8 where same author Paul was writing to some Christians in in Rome and he's saying, look, the Holy Spirit has come and he is going to help you go to war with the natural fleshly self that you have so that you can walk in freedom as sons and daughters of God. And then last week we jumped into Acts chapter 4 and we saw what happens when the Holy Spirit starts coming into a group of people and we saw this radical community starting to be born out of the Holy Spirit inhabiting his people. And so for Paul, the spiritual gifts are not so much about the gift. The gifts are important to him. He chooses to write about them. They're important, but not because of their inherent value in and of themselves. They're important because of who they point to. I mean, just read through the lifts of gifts and you start understanding that these gifts point us back to Jesus, right? I mean, he talks about message of wisdom. Who is the source of all wisdom? It's Christ. He talks about messages of knowledge. Who's the source of all knowledge? Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. He talks about prophecy and prophetic gifts. Who is the great prophet but Jesus, the one come into the world to reveal all things about who God is? He talks about apostles and who's the great apostle but Jesus, the one sent from the Father to come into the world. So all of these gifts for Paul are not so much important because of their own inherent value, but they're important because of who they point to. Look in verse 4 of chapter 12. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. And in verse 11... All these are the work of the one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. One God, one giver, many gifts. One God, one giver, many gifts. Not about the gifts, but about the giver. I was thinking about uh, gifts that I've received in my life as I was working on this this week, and um, I thought particularly about a gift I was given last year. Up until last year, my wife, Amy, and our boys had been living in Vancouver, Canada, and uh, we were far away from our families up there. And there was one family up there that God gave us as a gift, um, and uh, their names were Rose and Larry Waddell, and uh, they were just so kind to our family. They kind of became surrogate parents to us. They had three sons who were a little older than we were. Uh, I mean, a little younger than we were. They had just graduated college and they were out of the house. Uh, but we would go down almost every Friday night to stay with the Waddells. And uh, they would make food. Rose was a second generation Italian. And so she loved to cook. And she would make these huge feasts. And manja, manja, she would just feed us and we my plate would be empty and she'd come put more on there. At least three different kinds of meats and salads. I mean, amazing. We just loved going to their house. Uh, They had lots of guitars in their house because all their sons played and so after we would eat Rose in her Italian Canadian accent would be like let's have a hootin' nanny. and so we'd get our guitars out and she was trying to make it feel southern for us because we were all from the south and we'd play music and the last night before we left Canada we spent the night at their house and there was one guitar there that I really loved to play it wasn't that great of a a guitar it was a a Washburn HB-15 that's a, a electric hollow body single pickup guitar and I I love to play it, I love the way it sounds and she came to me and she said Aaron I want you to take this guitar, I want you to keep it. And she gave it to me as a gift. Now now the beauty in this gift is that every time I take it out to play it, who do I think about? I think about the giver of the gift. I'm reminded of the amount of generosity and love that was showered on my family by the giver of that gift. And whenever I play that guitar, it's like immediately I'm at the Waddell's house on a Friday night. I'm playing guitar with their sons and I'm singing and I'm eating and I'm laughing and I'm praying and we're talking. And the gift takes me back to the giver and reminds me of the goodness of the giver. It's not, the beauty of it is not that I have another guitar in my collection. The beauty of it is that anytime I take that out, I can be reminded of how good the giver really was. And so for Paul, it's not about the gifts but about the giver and his goodness. One God, many gifts, one giver. Second point is that Jesus makes these gifts available to each of us. Let's look in chapter 12 again. Look at verse 7. Paul writes, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Look in verse 11, again, all these are the work of the one and the same spirit and he gives them to each one just as he determines. then look down in verse 27, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And he goes on in chapter 14 to start to say, I want you to eagerly desire these gifts and I want us to hear the heart of Christ on this. Because the moment you choose to follow Jesus, you become a part of the body of Christ, and there are no useless parts of the body of Christ. There are only contributing members. There are no useless parts of the body of Christ. There are only contributing members. My boys, they're age four and two, and right now they've kind of been learning different parts of the human body and and human anatomy. My wife's been teaching them stuff. that. I think it's over their head, but she thinks they can handle it. And so they start asking all these questions and their favorite game recently is to ask, what if we didn't have a fill in the blank? And uh, Torin, my youngest, his favorite is the esophagus. Makes sense. He calls it the sausages. He says, what if we had no sausages? You know, and, and my oldest son, that's how he talks. He's a weird voice. Uh, my oldest son will always ask, what if we didn't have any red blood cells? What if we didn't have any white blood cells? And my wife will go on to tell them what would happen to the body if we didn't have those parts. And it's like my boys at their young age, they seem to already know that if you take away even one part of the body, it affects the whole thing. You take away one part of the body, it affects the whole thing. When you became a follower of Jesus, you did not sign up to come on a Sunday morning and sit in white plastic chairs and have some other guy from the front tell you what you need to know. It's so much more beautiful than that. When you became a part of the body of Jesus, you became a contributing member. And Jesus Christ in his grace, it's his grace and his goodness, he wants to fill you with his spirit so that you can be a contributing member of his body. It's such good news. It is his grace and it is a gift. This is not something that is just for the spiritually elite, but it's for the whole body. In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes another letter uh, to these Christians in Rome. And starting in verse 5, he says, So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. And if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion with his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. Teaching, let him teach. Encouraging, giving generously, leadership, governing, showing mercy. He goes on and starts listing off these gifts, which, by the way, are different than the gifts in this chapter. There's such an abundance of gifts that the Holy Spirit longs to give. That's why I say this is not an... This is not an owner's manual with a, you know, a whole long list, but Paul is saying there's so many things that the one good giver wants to give us, and he wants to give them to each of us, because we are the body, and there are no useless parts in the body of Jesus. So it's not about the gifts. It is about the giver and his intentions, and Jesus, the good giver, makes these gifts available to each one of us. And thirdly, Jesus gives for the benefit and the unity of his body. Jesus gives for the benefit and the unity of his body. And I think this is the place where we have to kind of start to bring it to the ground a little bit. Because we've read about all these gifts, and you're probably going, yeah, 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 I get this. It's about Jesus. And yes, he gives them. But what in the world do we do with prophecy? What? Speaking in tongues? What? Like gifts of healing? What? What are we supposed to do with these things? And and first of all, I think I I just want to say, I want you to know, like, Jesus is every bit as alive today as he was in the first century with these Jesus followers in Corinth. And because Jesus is every bit as alive today as he was in the first century, these gifts are every bit as available to us as followers of Jesus today. I I really need to be clear on that. Jesus is alive, and he's still good, and he's still the great giver. And the gifts are still available to us today, his followers, in 2014. Now, in chapter 14, I think Paul starts to get a little more practical about what it means for us to receive these gifts. So we're going to read some, some parts of this. And I think because of the way he writes this, I want us to think about practically what, is, what are the implications, what are the practical implications for these gifts of the Spirit for us when we are together as the body? Because that's what Paul is writing to here. He starts to write to these Corinthians about what it looks like when they come together. Let's look in chapter 14. 1 Corinthians, starting in verse 1, Paul writes, Follow the way of love. Lots to say on that. In fact, we're going to spend next week looking in chapter 13. The whole sermon is going to be about what Paul means by that, follow the way of love. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men. Everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like it if every one of you spoke in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may be edified. And I hope you noticed kind of a key theme through that passage. And if you keep reading chapter 14, you'll see it more. Paul uses this word "edify" over and over and over again. And this word "edify" it's actually the verse that he, the word that he uses in. Um, In verse 3, the very first word when he says that everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, same word, strengthening, edifying, it was actually a word used in construction and building a house, making it stronger, building it up, making it firm. And so Paul's concern with these gifts is he's saying when you come together, use these gifts for one another. These gifts are given to edify, to strengthen, to build up one another, not just for yourself, not for selfish reasons. Okay, so now, well, how is this practical? This, I think this chapter is extremely practical. I think when we read it, we kind of smuggle in ideas of this hyper-spirituality and super-spiritual, and we think, okay, someone's going to receive a word, a prophetic word, and we, we kind of picture a dude in a robe and a beard like Charlton Heston on the Ten Commandments, and he's standing there he's like, thus saith the Lord. You know, we think of something real dramatic. And I don't think that's at all what Paul is getting at here. He's saying, when you receive a word of prophecy, give it so that it can edify the church. And the only way, as I was thinking about this sermon, I was like, how do I describe how practical this is? The only way I know how to describe how practical it is is to tell you stories where I've seen it played out in God's people. I think of um, a young man named Nick Burnett, who was a part of the Ethos family. And uh, this past summer, Nick started sensing that God was calling him to quit his job and move to Peru to work with a Christian missionary that he knew. But he just wasn't sure and he was really wrestling with God and praying he had some anxiety about it and he said one one like Thursday morning in his quiet time he was reading and praying and just really begging God God I don't know I don't know I don't know what do I do and he felt like something hit him upside the head and he just said why am I stressing I just need to ask I just need to ask Jesus and trust that he's going to show me so he asked him he said Jesus if you want me to go would you show me and he had peace that weekend Uh, He he attended at marathon, and that weekend at marathon during a time of prayer and communion, total stranger walks up to Nick, and he says, hey, I I don't know you, and this is kind of weird. He said, "Um, my name's so-and-so, by the way, and he's like, oh, I'm Nick, nice to meet you. And he says, hey, the whole time during worship, you were sitting right in front of me, and every time I looked at you, I felt like God wanted me to come tell you that he has a great adventure planned for you, and he wants you to know it's going to be okay, and he's ready to send you, but he wants you to be patient. And Nick's just like, (laughs) whoa! That is the gift of prophecy. It is a word directly from God given to a member of the body of Christ to build up and edify and encourage another member of the body of Christ. That was in midsummer. Nick is in Peruno. Uh, He quit his job in September, moved down there to work with this missionary. I think of another story uh, in Oregon. I went to visit this small church plant. I'm a church planter and love visiting church plants and went to this one in in Oregon that my church was a part of supporting. And I remember when I walked in, they were a young church plant. They weren't that big, weren't that old, but I walked in and the first thing I saw was an older man who was being prayed for by another woman. And it'd be kind of like if you walked in Ethos and you walked in where the coffee and water they were in, kind of that area, and uh, he was sitting down and she was praying and I noticed it and she was praying very passionately for him. And I walked through and... Went into the worship area, and a few minutes later before worship start, started, um, I see this older gentleman that she had been praying for, and he's walking kind of like a newborn learning to walk. He's taking steps, and she is clapping, and she's saying, praise God, praise God, and everyone's kind of like, what is going on over there? Well, then worship begins, and the pastor of that church gets up front, and he has this look of just total dumbfounded, like he is just just doesn't know what's going on, and he says, literally he says i don't know what to do right now he said i've never seen anything like this he says brother so and so will you come forward and this old man comes up on stage and everyone's looking and the old man's standing there and i look in front of the stage and there's a young boy holding a cane turns out it was his grandson and the the pastor says you all know i don't remember his name brother ralph and you know that earlier this year brother ralph had a stroke and he has not been able to walk for 4 months And he says, will you give us a beat? And the drummer starts playing and Ralph starts dancing a jig right there on the stage. And the whole place just erupted with praise to God, right? I mean, the man had been healed miraculously before our very eyes in a church where nothing like this had ever been seen before. And this effortless hallelujah escaped my lips as I was so encouraged by the goodness of God. And that is the gift of miraculous healing played out right in the midst of a group of believers that had never seen it happen before. I think of even more simply, I think of Brandon. I remember one Sunday I stood up here and preached in his sermon. He talked about one Sunday when he was leaving and, and a stranger walked up to him and said, here, I'm supposed to give you this and put something in his pocket. And Brandon was like, okay, whatever, and got in his truck and when he pulled out it was a $50 bill. And the man said, man said, I don't know, I'm just supposed to give this to you another example of the Lord coming to somebody and just saying, hey, I want you to do this to build up your brother. I want you to do this to encourage your brother. And he walked in obedience and did it. And so the picture of how practical and real this is is that when we are together, Jesus Christ is here in our midst. He's here this morning. He's walking in our midst. And as Brandon and I were praying this week, he's preaching at Marathon. We were praying about this text and praying about what would it look like What would it look like if the Holy Spirit showed up and actually filled us to the point where the gifts of the Spirit were evident in our midst? Not so that we can feel more spiritual, but so that God can be praised and so that we can be built up as a body. And as we were praying, I I could just see Jesus literally walking in our midst, walking up to us one at a time, putting his hand on our shoulder and saying, hey, the person across the aisle has had a terrible week. You need to encourage them. Hey, see that guy over there? You need to go read John chapter 3 to them. I really need them to hear that this morning. Hey, see that couple on the the third row? Yeah, they, they need prayers for their marriage. You need to go to them and just ask them if you can pray with them. Jesus in our midst giving us words of encouragement for one another and us taking the risk of radical obedience of stepping out and doing what we feel him nudging us to do. These gifts are not given so that we can feel super spiritual. They're they're not given so that we can feel sure that we're saved. They are given for the common good of the church. They're given for the common good of the stranger sitting next to you. They're given for the common good of the person that found out that their family member has cancer this week. They're given for the common good of the person struggling with addiction. They're given for the common good of the person struggling to believe that God could love someone like them. They're given for the common good of the parent struggling to feel like they are the, a parent worth parenting at all. They're given for the common good. And so Paul says, when you come together, I want you to eagerly desire the greater gifts. And the greater gifts are the ones that strengthen, edify, encourage, And comfort Christ's body are you eagerly desiring for God to fill you are we eagerly desiring for Christ to fill us up so that we can encourage others are we how many of us are asking for the gift of prophecy not for our own sake but to bless others how many of us are asking for a message of wisdom so that we could speak into someone else's life? How many of us are asking for a message of knowledge? How many of us are asking for healing? How many of us are asking to see miraculous powers? How many of us are asking for the gifts of administration? That's in the list, by the way, gift of administration. How many of us are asking for the gift of administration so that the ministries and the outreach of our church family could be more effective? Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the ones that build up Christ's family. To kind of wrap us up this morning, I I want to read one more verse in 1 Corinthians 14. If you look over in 1 Corinthians 14 uh, verse 26, Paul writes, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. And so this morning, if, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are not just a consumer who comes here to hear what somebody else has to say. You're not just a consumer that has come here to be entertained. You are a contributing member of the body of Jesus. And what would it look like if we came together eagerly anticipating and desiring Jesus to show up and give us his presence and fill us with his gifts so that everybody else could be built up? What if communion was the centerpiece of our time together? That when we came together around this bread and this wine that we believed Jesus was there and in our time together in communion, we're asking him, Lord, how do you want to use me to encourage somebody else this morning? How do you want to use me to edify? How do you want to use me to comfort this morning? So I just want to encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus, when we go to communion here in a few minutes, just ask him. And I know that there's there's a tendency to start to feel some anxiety of like, oh, what are my gifts? what are my gifts? It's kind of that picture that Dave gave us a few weeks ago of the tree in the orchard that's like trying to bear fruit. Oh, come on, apples. That's not what this is a picture of, right? It's not a picture of this. Don't have anxiety about what your gifts are. Just ask. Just ask the Lord, how do you want to use me to encourage your family this morning? And for those of you, there may be some of you here that you're not a follower of Jesus and you're going, what do I do with this? What in the world is this message about? And I think this is what I really want you to hear this morning is that the Jesus that we serve, he is not a dead carpenter from 2,000 years ago, but he is the resurrected son of God living in our midst. And he loves you, he loves you. And he longs to give you a life full of purpose and meaning and grace. And if you ever receive anything that is encouraging or comforting or reassuring when you're in our midst, it is not from us. It is from Jesus giving us his presence to give that to you. So I'm gonna gonna pray for us. Um, and then we're going to, the band's going to come up and we're going to worship some more. We're going to take communion. And I just want to encourage you as you're taking communion, ask the Lord, what does he have for you? How does he want to use you this morning to build up his church? Let's pray.